Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. How are you all doing? Alhamdulillah. May I please request the sisters in the back to please come forward and fill in the gaps? Jazakumullah khayran. It's very important to not leave gaps even in a gathering because we learn in a hadith that once the Prophet ﷺ was in the masjid and one person came and he was shy and he left, he went away because he saw that the place was full so he didn't even bother to look for a place to sit and he was shy and he went away. Then another person came and he sat by the door. Another person came and he looked for a spot towards the front and he found it. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned those three people and he praised the person who came forward. And he said that the one who turned away, then Allah also turned away from him. So it's very important that when we come to a gathering, any place, then we don't just sit in the back, you know, to, with ourselves only, then it's better to join the gathering, inshallah. Okay. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytani rajim. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulihil kareem. Rabbish rahli sadri wa yassirli amri wa hlul uqtatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. اللهم اهدي قلبي وسدد لساني واسلل سخيمة قلبي آمين يا رب العالمين. So in our previous class we went over a little bit about Imam Bukhari's life and also a little bit about the book of hadith that we are studying which is Sahih Bukhari. Today I want to talk a little bit about hadith in general. And inshallah these uh, topics I will be covering in our class just so that you become more familiar with the science of hadith. So first of all what exactly is the importance and role of hadith in our religion? What status does it have in our religion? First of all, we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Qur'an that He revealed the Qur'an to the Prophet ﷺ and along with that He also gave him the hikmah, the wisdom. We see in Surah An-Nisa, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ That He has revealed upon you the book, the Qur'an, and also the hikmah, the wisdom. And I want you to look at the word anzala. Alright? Anzala means to send down. And this verb is used in the Quran for revelation. Because revelation was sent to the prophets through who? Through the angels. And the angels were sent down by Allah to the prophets on earth. Alright? So we see that the same verb is being used for what? For the kitab and for the hikmah. Now, kitab is well known. Kitab, the book, it's the Qur'an. That's very clear. But what exactly is al-hikmah that was also revealed to the Prophet wasallam? You see, hikmah is generally translated as wisdom. Wisdom or to place something where it belongs in the manner that is appropriate. So, hikmah is explained as the sunnah, the way of the Prophet wasallam. Because the Prophet ﷺ demonstrated, he showed to people how to follow the commands that Allah has given in the Qur'an. People were not left to interpret the Qur'an as they please. Because if that was the case, then they would make many mistakes. And we see that in the seerah, that there were times when companions, certain companions misunderstood some verses and the Prophet ﷺ explained those verses to them. Can you think of an example? where a companion misunderstood a verse of the Qur'an. And he spent the night in a lot of difficulty. This was, hint, Ramadan. Something to do with fasting. In the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions about the white thread of dawn and the black thread of the night. And that's as a metaphor you could say. And it's referring to the time when you stop eating, when the fast begins. So that companion, he slept in the night with two threads in his pillow. A black thread and a white thread. And he kept bringing them out 
again and again to see when he could tell them apart. And when he said that to the Prophet ﷺ, he joked with him that your pillow is very big. Because what is meant is the sky. So in the sky, when you see the crack of dawn, so the crack is referring to the thread. So we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he explained to the people the meaning of the Qur'an and also its application. So وَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ This is the reason why the person who takes only the Qur'an, then he's making a big mistake. He's making a huge mistake. How so? Because there is a possibility that he will misunderstand the Qur'an. And he's also missing out on a lot of uh, teachings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, has revealed. In a hadith, we learned that the Prophet wasallam said that soon a hadith from me will be conveyed to a man while he is reclining on his couch. And that man will say that between us and you is the book of Allah. Meaning that's what we have. So whatever we find in it that is lawful, we consider it to be lawful. And whatever we find in it that is unlawful, we consider it to be unlawful. What is this man saying? That we'll just take what the Qur'an says, right? We don't need anything else. The Prophet ﷺ said over here, that indeed whatever the Messenger of Allah made unlawful, it is the same as what Allah made unlawful. Meaning, that if something is coming from the Messenger of Allah, then you cannot... Disregard it. You cannot just take the Qur'an and ignore the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Both have to be taken. And so this is why it's very important that when uh, we have so much interest in learning the meaning of the Qur'an, we should also be interested in at least getting familiar with the sunnah, with the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. Then we see that in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly commands the believers to follow the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And in order to follow the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what do we have to do first and foremost? What do we have to do? In order to follow someone, what do you need? What do you need? Yes? Okay, get to know them. Basically, you need to know what they're telling you. If you don't even know what they're telling you to do, how can you follow them? If you don't even know what they did, how can you follow them? So we see that in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands people to follow the Prophet sallallahu in numerous verses and in a number of ways. And if I start listing all the verses here, we'll be sitting here till Maghrib just going over those verses. Alright, because there's so many verses in the Qur'an that mention this. So if we look at all those verses, we can basically put them into seven categories. The first category is of verses that directly command us to follow and obey the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There's a direct command where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands us to follow Him. So for example, in Surah An-Nur, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ وَآتُ الزَّكَاةِ وَأَطِيعُ الرَّسُولِ Do you see three things that are being mentioned over here? What's the first thing? Establish the prayer. Secondly, give the zakah. And then thirdly, obey the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Is salah important? Is zakat important? Yes. And in the same line, what are we commanded? Obey the Messenger ﷺ. In order that you may receive mercy. Then secondly, we see verses in which obedience to the Prophet ﷺ is made a sign of faith. How? For example, in Surah Al-Anfal, the first verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَطِيعُ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ 
ان کنتم مؤمنین that obey Allah and his messenger if you are truly believers meaning if you're really believers if you really have faith then what do you have to do obey Allah and his messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam the third category is of verses in which we see that obedience to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is paired with obedience to Allah how for example ati'u Allah wa ati'u rasul Obey Allah and obey the Messenger. And this phrase, by the way, obey Allah and obey the Messenger, this comes in so many places in the Qur'an. You have a verse in Surah An-Nisa, you have a verse in Surah Al-Ma'idah, in Surah An-Nur, in Surah Muhammad, in Surah Al-Taghabun. The same phrase, obey Allah and obey the Messenger. Then we have in Surah An-Nisa, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَن يُطِعِ الرَّسُولَ فَقَدْ أَطَاعَ اللَّهِ that whoever obeys the messenger then in fact he is obeying who Allah why because who sent the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam Allah did who revealed to him what to do Allah did so obeying the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is like obeying who Allah man yuti'ur rasula faqad ata'a Allah then fourthly we see verses that mention warning of punishment for disobeying the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so for example in surah al-hashr we have ayah 7 that wama atakum ar-rasul fakhudhuhu that whatever the messenger gives you you should take it wama nahakum anhu fantahu and whatever he stops you from then stop meaning listen to him if he tells you to do something do it and if he stops you from something then stop wattaqullah and then there's a warning that if you don't listen to the messenger and fear Allah. Inna Allah shadeedul iqab, indeed Allah is severe in penalty, meaning the punishment is severe. So this is what do you think this is? The last statement. Wattaqullaha inna Allah shadeedul iqab. What is this? It's a it's a warning exactly, it's a threat. Then fifth, we see verses that mention the command to refer to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam when there is a dispute. So when people are not in agreement they cannot see eye to eye and especially it's a matter with regards to religion or for a muslim everything you know a muslim is one who submits to allah so everything in their life is related to the deen somehow or the deen provides guidance regarding every situation in our lives so whenever there is a dispute what are we supposed to do refer to the guidance given by the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam Allah says in Surah An-Nisa that فَإِن تَنَازَعْتُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ فَرُدُّوهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَالرَّسُولِ That if you disagree over anything, then refer to Allah and the Messenger. إِن كُنْتُمْ تُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ If you truly believe in Allah and the last day. Then finally we have sixth and seventh point here that the sixth category is the command to accept, agree with, and submit to the decision of the Prophet wasallam. That we have to accept what he tells us we have to agree with it and we also have to submit to it and this is mentioned very clearly in the Quran that fala wa rabbika la yu'minun that by your lord they will not truly believe they're not truly believers until when hatta yuhakkimuka fi ma shajara bainahum until they make you o prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam a judge concerning that over which they dispute among themselves 
And then after that, ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَرَجًا مِمَّا قَضَيْتَ Then they do not find within themselves any discomfort from what you have judged. Meaning they're not uncomfortable about the judgment that you have made. And then, وَيُسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا And they submit in full willing submission. We're not just supposed to know about him or believe in him, wasallam. We are to follow him and, and our heart must be pleased with what he decided. We must surrender, we must submit to whatever decisions that he made. And then finally we see that following the Prophet wasallam is made a proof of Allah's love. قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهَ فَاتَّبِعُونِي That if you love Allah, then follow me, meaning the Prophet ﷺ. What will happen then? يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهُ Allah will love you. So if a person follows the Prophet ﷺ, what does the person get? The love of Allah. وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ And he will also forgive you. Your sins. So we see that in the Quran there are many, many verses that clearly mention the importance of following the Prophet ﷺ. Now, in our previous class, Alhamdulillah, we started the study of Sahih Bukhari. Did you notice something in the text that we studied? Was it just the statements of the Prophet ﷺ or was there more in the text? What did you see? Yes. So there is a chain of narration which is that we see names which can be very hard to pronounce. Very different names also, but lots of names. And then we see verbs such as he narrated to us or so-and-so informed us. And then we see sometimes the statement of the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in quotes. So what exactly is hadith? Hadith is defined as, and make sure you have this definition with you. Hadith is defined as مَا أُضِيفَ إِلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ مِنْ قَوْلٍ أَوْ فِعْلٍ أَوْ تَقْرِيرٍ أَوْ وَصْفٍ What does this mean? This means a hadith is مَا أُضِيفَ That which is attributed to who? إِلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ To the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم What is attributed to him? It could be a قول what is a qawl? A saying, a statement, a word, all right, speech, his words. So words that are attributed to the Prophet ﷺ, what exactly is meant by that? They're attributed to him. Exactly. That it is said that those were his words. He said something. Can you give me an example of words that are attributed to the Prophet ﷺ, that he said something? Beautiful. That in a hadith we learned that the Prophet ﷺ said that I and the one who takes care of an orphan will be like this in Jannah. And he brought together two of his fingers. So this is an example of words that are attributed to him. Likewise, إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ fairlin or actions. So it is said that the Prophet ﷺ did something. So in a hadith we see Nothing about what he said, but something he did, an action of his. Like a hadith that describes how he prayed. Or an approval. Meaning something was done in front of him, and he approved it. Or a description. So for example, 
Anas radiallahu anhu, he narrates something about the hand of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, or his character, right, or his face. So that is what? His description. So any statement that carries these things, what? Something that is attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, whether it is words or actions or approvals or descriptions, then that is called a hadith. But attributing something to the Prophet ﷺ is something serious, isn't it? It's a big deal. It's not something small. So remember that there are two parts of a hadith. What are the two parts? The first part of a hadith is a sanad. All right, sanad is the chain of narrators, where, for example, a companion witnessed the Prophet ﷺ saying something. And then later on, that companion passed on what he heard from the Prophet ﷺ to his son, for instance. And his son passed on that statement to his student, for instance. Alright? And that student passed on that statement to who? His student, for instance. So this becomes what? A chain of narrators. And remember that our scholars are actually very, very particular about this. And inshallah today we will see in the first hadith that we study about how the companions were also critical of each other. They were also very hard with each other that if someone said that I remember what the Prophet wasallam said, Umar anhu said that you're very daring, you're very bold, that you can claim that you know what the Prophet wasallam said. So remember that you know, the people realized the heaviness or the weight of this and they took this matter very seriously. So we have the chain of narrators and the second thing is the text, the mutton. Alright, so inshallah in today's class, make sure that you, you are able to differentiate between the sanat and the mutton, the chain of narrators and the mutton. So sometimes the names of the narrators are well known. You may have noticed this that in certain sciences, there are certain names that you have to know. You don't always take the full name of the researcher or of the scientist, isn't it? Like, for example, can you give me an example of a certain field of study where certain names are well-known? When you're writing a research paper, for example, and you see a name, you don't wonder who is this person, right? You see the name and you recognize the name instantly. Okay, in physics, Newton, for example. Any, anything else? Yes. Okay, in philosophy there's Plato, but also in contemporary, like contemporary researchers or within the last few hundred years. Okay, Stephen Hawking, okay. So there are some names that are very well known in psychology, for because I've written a lot of essays in psychology, so there are some names which are, you know, you get to know them, you're so familiar with them that you don't think every time, who is this person? So just like that, there are people from amongst the generation of the companions and after them, the tabi'un, the followers of the companions, and the generation that came after them. So from each generation, there are people that are well-known. All right? They're well-known. So this is why every time their name was mentioned, their entire name was not mentioned. All right? Their entire name was not given. However, if the narrator was ambiguous, then that would also affect the authenticity of the chain, by the way. Today, inshallah, we'll see in one of the chains that a certain narrator is mentioned, 
by a different name and that made me wonder also that who's this person right i don't see his name in the chain and when i looked it up it was the first name of one of the scholars of hadith that was given so these are the two parts of a hadith the sanad and the matan now when it comes to hadith narration how exactly did the science begin very quickly i want to go over this remember that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in his lifetime he encouraged people to learn from him and to take what he taught them very seriously it wasn't that 100 years or 200 years after the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam people thought you know some of the statements that are attributed to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam sound very interesting so let's put them together let's write them down let's record them that's not the case we doubt the authenticity of the sunnah because we compare it to how for example the bible was written the fact is that hadith was actually written in the lifetime of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam why because the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he told the people he encouraged them to take what he was giving them seriously and to pass it on so for example in a hadith we learned that he said i have left two matters with you as long as you hold on to them you will not go the wrong way and they are the book of allah and the sunnah of his prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so this means that as the people took the quran from him they also took his sunnah from him and then he encouraged the people to remember what he taught them and to not keep it with himself can you recall a time when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam told people to pass on what they had heard from him can you think of a time an occasion where the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam told people to convey to pass on whatever they had heard from him go ahead good at the farewell pilgrimage and the sermon what did he say that whoever is here should convey it to those who are absent otherwise also we know that balighu anni walaw aya convey from me even if it is an aya one verse and another hadith we see that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam actually made dua for the person who conveys his hadith he said nadara allahu ra'an may allah beautify a man a person who hears a saying of mine hears it then he understands it and then he remembers it and he conveys it so there are several steps over here what's the first step he hears it then understands it comprehends it and then he remembers it doesn't forget it and then he passes it on and he said perhaps he carries it to one who has more understanding than him It's quite possible that you tell someone about something and they understand it better than you did. So we see here that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam encouraged people to pass on what they had learned from him. So uh, remember that when it comes to hadith compilation, initially the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam prohibited people from writing his hadith. He said, "Do not take down anything from me except the Quran." and whoever took down anything from me except the quran should erase it but narrate from me meaning keep learning and passing on whatever you are hearing from me narrate it orally but do not write it down why did he forbid the people from writing down his words initially why do you think so yes you see these days when you see the text of the quran you can instantly recognize it isn't it you can recognize it 
Why? Because it's written in a certain way. And other Arabic, typically if you open up an Arabic book, there isn't even any Fatha Kasra Dhamma and you don't even know how to read it. Correct? At the time of the Prophet ﷺ, remember that at the beginning, literacy was rare. Very few people knew how to read and write. Alright? Literacy was rare. Secondly, resources were also limited. Very limited. And so it was very likely that somebody would take something that was written and think that it is Qur'an. Because the Qur'an was not written in a book. There was no book. Alright, the scribes would write it where? On parchment, on leather, on wood, and things like that. It was only compiled in a book form, book form not as we have it today, but together in one thing in the time of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Alright, because at that time the revelation of the Qur'an was complete. A few days before the Prophet ﷺ died is when he received the last revelation. So this is why to ensure that the hadith is not confused with the Qur'an, the Prophet ﷺ initially forbade people from writing anything except for the Qur'an from him. However, later on, he allowed the companions to write his words also. Why is that? Why do you think? Because within those few years, what happened? Literacy rates were very high. We see so many instances of how people learned how to read and write because the Prophet ﷺ instructed that they should. So writing became more common. And also, the Qur'an was well known. So we see in this hadith, for example, that the Prophet ﷺ, he told one of the companions that write by him in whose hand my soul is, only the truth comes out from it. And he pointed towards his tongue. That only the truth comes out from this mouth, so you can write down what you hear from me. So we see that the hadith was written in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, and he encouraged people to narrate hadith from him. And this is why the science of hadith is really not something that should be dismissed. Okay, good question. What about the sayings of the Prophet ﷺ, which he said before he gave permission to the people to write? They had memorized them. Because remember, he didn't forbid them from passing on what they had heard from him. He forbade them simply from from writing. That's it. So they remembered, they memorized all right, any other question? Well, if you think about it, the hadith is the explanation of the Qur'an. And as we learned today, it cannot really be separated from the Qur'an. We cannot dismiss it. So, yes, the Qur'an has a higher status, of course, because it is the speech of Allah. And this is why the Qur'an is called wahi matlu, revelation that is recited. And the sunnah is referred to as wahi ghair matlu meaning revelation that is not recited. Alright, but both come from Allah.